Hello and a warm welcome to this podcast, our audio debating chamber, part of the Living in Love and Faith Research and Reflection Project. This episode will discuss the chapter in the LLF book which explores the calling of the church, a body of believers that seeks to be holy, set apart and yet resolute in its gospel calling to be a sanctuary for all. Back in the 19th century, Baptist pastor, Anglican critic and standing room only orator Charles Haddon Spurgeon highlighted the contradictions which surface when human beings attempt to replicate the biblical principles and practices of authentic reverence in action. Spurgeon remarked ruefully, if I had never joined a church until I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. This earnest pursuit of faithfulness, as Spurgeon reminds us, is a constant for the church and perhaps never more than now. My name is Stuart Henderson. I'm a poet, broadcaster and songwriter as we discuss a story about being church. The Right Reverend Dr Tim Dakin has been the Bishop of Winchester since the end of 2011. Following theological studies in Plymouth, a Master's of Theology at King's College London and further research studies in Oxford, Tim was Africa-bound, becoming Principal at the Church Army College in Nairobi, whilst also serving in the Kenyan capital's cathedral. No stranger to the continent, having been born in Tanzania, he is a former General Secretary of the Church Mission Society. The Right Reverend Dr Martin Warner has served as the Bishop of Chichester for the past eight years. He studied at St Chad's College, Durham, completing his theological training at St Stephen's House, Oxford. Ordained as a priest in 1985, Martin was priest administrator of the Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham for nine years and from 2003 to 2010 was residentiary canon and latterly treasurer at St Paul's Cathedral. The Reverend Canon Dr Jessica Martin is a present residentiary canon at Ely Cathedral where peregrine falcons nest in the tower and where Jessica's duties include outreach and education. Before ordination, she was a fellow and lecturer in English literature at Trinity College, Cambridge. Her commanding writings on John Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost, was serialised in The Guardian, and her new book is Holiness and Desire, What Makes Us Who We Are. The Reverend Alex Clare Young is an ordained minister in the United Reformed Church, which has its roots in the English Presbyterian tradition. Alex is minister of an online church and continues his doctoral research on transgender theology. Alex began transitioning from female to male a decade ago. That testimony is recorded in Alex's book, Transgender, Christian, Human published by Wild Goose Publications. On my virtual flip chart, to get us going, some random daubings. Church, a weekly gathering of repeat offenders continuously pardoned by one who suffered exclusion and execution, or a select assembly 
suspicious of those who look, think and live differently. Do add your own descriptions to this list. Tim Dakin, in a recent Daily Reflection, you said that Christians are called to be agents of social transformation. That is an active principle. But what do you think the church really looks like to those who never lightened the church's doors? Oh, gosh. Probably a Sunday club, mostly for old people. Whereas I think um, my experience of the church around the world, but also many church communities in this part of the world, is that actually Christians... Uh, gather together on a Sunday, but what they gather and bring with each other's experience of the world is a is an understanding of who Christ is lived out. Um, rather than the church being only a Sunday event, it, it's actually um, on Sundays that you, you you gather with others to chew the cud of what you've received during the week, and of the life that you've lived for Christ in the rest of your life. So I would say, from my perspective of what the church is, it's a movement. Does the the perception of the Church of England as being part of the establishment, bishops sitting in the House of Lords, help or hinder? Well, as with most of these kinds of questions, it's always a both and. And then you have to actually answer, well, then what? Um, if it's both and, what are the good bits and what are the, the bad bits? I think some of the good bits that we hope that establishment allows us is a voice and an engagement and an opportunity to influence. And certainly in terms of uh, where one of the elements that, of establishment that we sometimes forget, our presence in schools and our responsibility for some school governance and school support, encouraging people to discover more of their gifts and their abilities in order to make a contribution to society as uh, as Christian citizens. So the bad things about establishment, gosh, I think people think we've got lots of money. I think people think we've got lots of land, other establishment influence. And I'm afraid we certainly look very establishment these days. Most of our senior leadership has been of recent, really white, male and uh, older. The chapter about being a holy community in the LLF book traces the central ideal from the Old to the New Testament of living holy lives, from the Holiness Code in Leviticus to the template for new church purity. But if we're all made in the image of God, does it not follow that holiness dwells in everyone and therefore it's not the church's sole possession to attempt to model? The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he shows us what we are all called to be, whether we're Christians or not. And the great news that we have to share with other people as Christians is why not discover more of who you are in this person, Jesus? Because this is the one through whom all things were made. And he shows us how the image of God actually is meant to be. And he has saved us from those things that stop us from being that and has enabled us to be more of those things that he is. So, yes, everybody is called to grow into that image of God. And the, the, the great thing about the church is that if all the cultures of the world uh, can share the Jesus they know, then we can begin to glimpse the greatness of Christ. We, be we can begin to see just how great the fullness of Christ is. Martin Warner. 
your, your use of the term holiness is interesting there, Stuart. Um, um, and I think holiness, uh, it seems to me that that is something which belongs uniquely and specifically to God. This is something we want to say about the character of the God we cannot see or touch, uh, who exists not because we think he exists, um, but is uh, independent of our will, and yet who sustains every intimate and delicate detail of the creation. But I also think part of the process of detecting the mystery of God, which is holiness, is that we can find it in ourselves, uh, that it is astonishing and overwhelming, but, but also that its beauty at the same time illuminates where it is not. It illuminates where that holiness is absent or distorted or twisted. And I think one becomes part of the character of Christian life is to say, not that I am worthless, I don't think that is authentic Christian life, but to say the beauty of the holiness of God, and even beginning to see that in myself and even beginning to see it in other people, suddenly says to me, but gosh, how much more there could be and how much there is here which is not beautiful in the way that I would love it to be. So those are things which I think are fascinating as part of the Christian endeavour and leave us with, with some... Uh, I don't say unresolved uh, tension, but, but with some longing and desire, which we know in this life can never be fulfilled, but is a, it's something that we struggle with and, and work with uh, um, in a positive way. I think sometimes it can also become damaging, negative, uh, and that's where judgment have to be held, uh, handled so, you know, we have to be so careful about that. Alex Claire Young. A lot of people, particularly people outside of the church actually, think that being holy is about obeying a list of rules. And when we fall to that definition, we're not really conveying the, the holiness of God, which is completely beyond and above any human set of rules. One of the promises that we make as United Reformed Church ministers when we get ordained is, is the promise to live a holy life. And I will never forget the fact that while I was training for ministry, someone who would have had the power to stop my training journey, um, questioned whether I was living a holy life. And the reason that that question was asked was because I was a trans person in a relationship with a woman, and there was an assumption that that somehow equated with a, with a homosexual act. And actually, I went away and wrote a reflection about what it meant to live a holy life. And I was talking about things like eco-justice, things like listening well to people who disagree with me, things like being authentic and always telling the truth. And I think those are things that can kind of aspire to reach up, to, to try and get to the point of being able to live a holy life. But I also think it's, it's quite arrogant if as ministers we believe that we can ever fully promise to live a holy life because we're not God but we can't be perfect and we can't be fully holy and actually being honest about that I think is one of the keys to holiness. I think if we claim to be able to perfectly follow a, a set of rules or an example that make us holy then we're probably not being entirely honest about the aspects of ourselves that actually aren't at all holy both as individuals and as churches. Would it be fair to say that you're 
suggesting, and I'm not wishing to put uh, words in your mouth, that ordinary people out with the church, outside the church, can manifest holiness just as much as somebody standing at the altar administering the sacraments. Absolutely. I think we are all created to be in relationship, and I think that often what that relationship looks like is holding up a mirror that can show people the image of God, the image of themselves, all sorts of things, sometimes completely imperfectly. Sometimes it can show the image of God in the absence of God. Sometimes it, it, it better shows the image of God. Um, it's difficult and complex, but I think everyone in the church and outside of the church has different perspectives and, and they're worth being heard. Jessica, is holiness then exceptional to the church or is it a common characteristic of wider humanity? It's not solely or even mainly about your individual communing with, with, with the nature of God when you're on your own. It has to be about how that affects the disposition of all your relationships. For me, I, I, I can't see clearly what that disposition of holiness might be like um, in someone f who doesn't recognise that God is there at all. But unless you have a concept of yourself as a creature among creatures, I think what you're, you're doing in your relationships is probably rather different. If you are a kind of sovereign agent, the way that you will behave, but also the way you will imagine yourself will be really, really different. Um, and I don't think that any worshipper of God, any understanding of what the word holiness might mean, could imagine themselves as sovereign to themselves. They, they, they're always, we are always creatures. Alex. I know someone who describes themselves as an atheist and they walk on the beach along the shore every single day and they walk barefoot so that they can feel the sand between their toes and they are amazed by how large and crashing the waves can be. They're amazed by how sparkling and still the sea can be. And I had a conversation with them about the, ch the differences that that makes in their relationships with other people. And the main reason they walk on the beach every day is because recognising that they are in a way very small in relation to everything else and recognising that there is wonder in the way that, that, that everything is created affects how they relate to other people and makes them relate in a more respectful and more open and more authentic way and makes them listen better and all sorts of things. That person claims to be an atheist but I would say that, their, that that action and the results that it has for them is absolutely holiness. Now, they may not relate that to God, but I, I kind of think that's irrelevant. Um, and I kind of think that a person can meet Jesus in the world without ever having heard a word of Christianity or the Bible, and that we need to find ways to better understand that and reflect that as the church. Jessica? There is an, a, a famous atheist who uses the word holy in a way I absolutely recognise, and that's Terry Pratchett. And in his Discworld books, he talks about holiness in two different places. And one is um, the golem who's been made free, who says, either all days are holy or none are, I haven't decided which. Um, when he's talking about whether there can be such a thing as a holy day in which um, special things happen. And the other is um, 
in relation to um, the beauty of the sunrise um, and uh, looking out on a day and recognising that um, all that um, this particular protagonist sees is holy. Both of those, I mean, they, they both seem to me very Protestant understandings of holiness, um, but uh, they are also recognisably within a post-Christian but still Christian sort of imagining of the world. Martin. I'm very aware that so much of this discussion depends really on our perception. It's very human-centred. Uh, and um, uh, it means, uh, it's, it, to a certain extent, it can depend on our mood, uh, how we're feeling, or our context and situation in life. And I think one of the things that, for ordinary people, I, I'm not sure we can ever give an assessment to holiness and say there's a lot of it there, um, but these people haven't really got very much there. But one of the things that, about people who are perhaps struggling with Christian life, which I find so overwhelmingly amazing, is when they're struggling with real difficulties. Um, they're not showing anything that's ostensibly heroic and they're not necessarily making great intellectual claims or statements about their faith, but they simply keep going at it. And uh, the recognition that Christian faith is immensely accessible to very ordinary people in very ordinary ways, their practice of it, little devotional practices at home, their practice in church, their faithful sort of Sunday by Sunday. These things also seem to me to be very important and important statements about the, um, uh, the uh, if you like, the, the independence uh, the, the ex of the existence of God over and above how any of us feels about that. If living in love and faith has a lingua franca, then it can be found in the book of Peter in the New Testament, which fervently urges mutual love amongst believers. And yet, as the LLF book realistically admits, disagreements surrounding questions of sexuality, gender identity and marriage remain unresolved. Martin Warner, with the lack of resolve and, and common biblical agreements over the issues, the assiduous word inclusion is much used in relation to trying to keep everyone in the room, but some could interpret that as a frustrating, ongoing status quo. Discuss. One of the things that strikes me about um, the experience of being a Christian is that somewhere mystery uh, is uh, an element of our, our discourse, the way we describe our experience of it. And I think one of the things that is going to be very important for us uh, as we look at the complexity of, increasing complexity of human life uh, 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 that we are um, str all struggling with um, in, in our society and understanding each other, is recognising that the human person is also part of this dispensation of mystery. Um, something we, the human person is not a problem to be solved, a mystery to be uh, valued. And I think that's what I want to hold for being human when we come against uh, our inability to define because we're trying to come up with too much um, you know, answer to the mystery. I think I want to step back and say, ah, 
Here is something which is like the mystery of God, uh, something which is confined by time and space and which is not, which is not fully itself yet, um, but deserves reverence in the way that we reverence God. But using mystery, some may see that, or using the mystery defence, some may see that as just deferring, making a decision about very very real pressing problems, especially for the LGBT plus community. Indeed, and, and of course, um, uh, making decisions uh, can uh, result in, um, uh, uh, as is always in, in a decision, uh, exclusion. And that's why I think the term inclusion uh, is one that has become so important. Uh, and so I think stepping back from decisions which say we need to exclude in order to include is, uh, is an area where we uh, are very, I think, rightly um, hesitant that uh, uh, what some people say is going to be progress may in fact prove uh, to be um, a, a, an air, a, a step that is not yet wise to make. Alex Claire Young. Yeah, um, I'm not sure that it's the mystery that's caused delay. I think it's the yearning for certainty that's caused delay, actually. As Christians, we are called to live in a certain amount of mystery. I think that um, the phrase seeing in a mirror dimly isn't about a position that we, we strive to get beyond. It's, it's about the state of humanity. Things are mysterious. We do live in this sort of fog where we can't quite know exactly what God thinks. And I think in the questions of sexuality and gender, there's been a desire for, a cer for certainty to be able to say, well, God definitely thinks this is okay, or God definitely thinks this isn't okay. And I don't think we're going to get that kind of certainty, and I don't think that's a bad thing. When I talk about my transition, one of the things people always ask is, but how were you certain? How did you know for definite that, that you are supposed to be male? And at first I made up lots of blundering answers. But the truth is you can't be certain, can you? None of us can be certain about who we are um, and what is right and wrong. What we can do is discern what a best fit might be. The difficulty with inclusion is that a lot of people see the Bible as moving from inclusion towards justice. And it's very hard to hold justice together when it looks different to different people. Tim? Yes, yeah, so I was just reflecting on what Alex said. And um, uh, there's a lot with uh, a lot of uh, what he said that I, I agree with, really. And that's based possibly on a slightly different foundation. But we have talked about good disagreement. I'm, I'm trying to make that a more positive thing, if possible, which is to be to advocate for loving disagreement in which there can be a sense of justice for all, but yet an acknowledgement of very deep disagreement. And if the mystery then begins to look a bit like the love that can hold people who disagree with each other very deeply together in some way, then uh, we're beginning to discover possibly more of the extraordinary mystery of God. I think for what a church then looks like, particularly for those who feel as though they've been excluded, that will have to be something that um, people work out in the process of, of discovering what part of the church they want to be part of. Uh, and so I, I am committed to not so much a, an inclusive approach or an exclusive approach, but a more pluralistic approach where 
we are committed, however, to principles that we're not going to force each other to give up on. So it's a form of principle pluralism. We don't say you must do this in order to be included or you, you will be included if, if you agree with us. And we don't do it either way. We, we, we just acknowledge that sometimes there are things that we will never agree about because they are so deep. Jessica, picking up on Tim's point there of, um, of principle pluralism, is Jesus saying, I am the way, an example of that? Or is that being fairly conclusive? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, and I think perhaps you're also thinking about what he says next, which is no one comes to the Father except through me. In front of two bishops, I'm quite cautious about uh, <laughs> hermeneutics. <laughs> However, one of the things that um, is central to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he did is his humanity. The place where he stands in, in my own faith is the place where God and humanity meet and are intimate. Those who come to the Father through Jesus are coming to the Father through a profound understanding of humanity as, a, as holy ground. And I think you can extend that understanding of humanity as holy ground, as one in which human beings are find their redemption in recognising the holiness of each other. That seems to me to be the opposite of excluding. The, the, the church has an opportunity to model something that is getting rarer and rarer in wider society, which is an ability to love across ideological divides. Um, I am more and more troubled in the world at large by ways in which um, a kind of moral purity is claimed by saying that an other, which may be a whole variety of different kinds of other, are no longer the kind of human being you would wish to be associated with. I am deeply, deeply troubled about the readiness to say that X who does not agree with me is not a proper human being, or X who doesn't agree with me is not part of the family of humanity to which I also belong. We are ducking the question of what the church might decide. I don't think anybody has faced that one in this conversation. And whatever decision is made is going to be very painful for a set of people. Being part of that same body Alex Clare Young, you have a heightened experience of a, a church being a community of grace and mercy and complete acceptance during the time that you were transitioning from female to male. Following your appearance on BBC Songs of Praise uh, recently, you wrote on your blog in very measured terms that some churches are not fully living the welcoming gospel message towards LGBTQ plus individuals. As this podcast, in part, is to do with addressing a better model of being church, is LLF 
a watershed moment, a crucial opportunity to be at the forefront of addressing inequality. Is, th is that why you choose to be involved? Because you see a hope in it. It's really interesting that you bring up that in that interview, actually, because one of the reasons I wrote that blog was precisely because of the um, modes of being, I think, that, that Jessica was talking about, actually, that um, in my BBC Songs of Praise interview, I said that there should be church spaces for people who disagree with me. And some LGBT people took that quite badly. Um, they felt that church shouldn't be a place for people who disagree with being LGBT. Uh, and actually, I think it should. I think there needs to be all sorts of churches for all sorts of people because we are all human and we all deserve a connection with each other and a connection with God. And um, as Jessica rightly pointed out, none of us can know which of us are right or wrong. Um, God is above and beyond and around and in between all of that. But there's a lot of hurt from LGBT people and I think a lot of reasonable hurt, a lot of hurt that we can understand. I mean, just speaking personally about some of the things that I've been through, which I'm aware in every um, LLF conversation, I kind of strip bare another layer or level of the hurt. And I suspect some of the people in these conversations who know me better than others might think, gosh, well, I didn't know that. There's another another layer and a lot of LGBT people are hiding so many layers of hurt that has been done to them that it is harder to accept and include those who may be perpetrators of that hurt. It's like talking about abuse and forgiveness which is a very very difficult and complex topic. So not everyone is going to be able to get to this point of of recognizing the humanity in every other individual and I would say that I don't think pretending to agree when we actually disagree is unity. We have been opened to the possibility to love each other and to see that as more central than our disagreements. Sexuality isn't the whole of life. Sexuality isn't the central thing about being church. Um, what's central to being church is relationship with God and relationship with each other. Alex, you're a representative of the, a living embodiment of a radical inclusion. Have there been moments when you thought, stuff this for a game of soldiers I'd rather walk away yes and there are people around this table who know that um, and I can see some people smiling because I think I've threatened to walk away more than once I think one of the things that I realized was that when instead of walking away I became more honest about how I felt the respect and listening that I encountered grew so a lot of the time when I've been tempted to walk away, I've just quite honestly said, this is the thing that's making me feel really fed up right now. And people have listened and that listening has made a difference. So for example, there was a conversation in the coordinating group. I don't even know what it was about, but I mentioned the fact that life is really difficult for trans people at the moment. I mentioned the fact that we're getting a lot of, of negative coverage in the press and that that is really hurtful for people and I said I'm really hurt and I'm struggling to be reasonable um, and to listen to difference in this conversation because of the hurt that I feel and someone said well let's just stop and pray and we stopped and people prayed um, and later I saw something in a conversation and I think the um, synod conversations 
about about that difficulty that trans people are going through and the reflection that 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 a bishop gave of that difficulty I knew partly came from what I said and it made me feel that by engaging honestly I'd been able to make a difference in the church and in the type of message that is heard by other people I think people worry about decisions um but decisions are such a small part of what equity and justice in the church look like. What's more important to me than any decisions that the Church of England might take is that people in the Church of England have recognised what the church has done to me previously and have owned that and apologised for it and been willing to hear, hear it. And I would think that that would be the case for a lot of LGBT people, actually, that being heard is so important. Bishops Tim and Martin, your responses to Alex's LLF story. Tim. Uh, what a, an amazing moment of grace when somebody said, let's pray. That was that sounds wonderful. I think what Alex's story puts to me is um, the question of how, in talking about loving disagreement and a principle pluralism, how that can be worked out in practice when ongoing disagreement means that whilst you love someone with whom you disagree you may not be able to have as much fellowship as you'd like in christian terms so can you share communion together and i think it's that deep for us in the anglican setup because for us unity is expressed in the eucharist in the way we see ourselves as receiving Christ and sharing Christ among us in the in the in the way he invited us to remember him but also to participate in him and receive him and uh, uh, we have already got a broken anglican communion that can't participate in this kind of way disagreements which are so deep that when some of our senior leaders meet they can't share communion and if we try and impose a decision through campaigning or politics or whatever we will only damage ourselves even more finding a way forward in a way that doesn't destroy each other but offers a witness to the world about how christians love one another is going to be really important and martin your response to alex's layers of pain testimony how do you respond thank you uh, alex thank you to you for staying with us um, thank you to you for agreeing to join us in the first place. And I think one of the things that you've demonstrated uh, so powerfully is that the generosity with which you've shared your uh, faith and commitment uh, and the pain that you've experienced um, has enabled us uh, to begin to explore those things in our own communion, our own church. And it's reminded us that that's not a job we are able to do on our own. I think I'd also just want to say something about um, the importance uh, for us to recognise um, the importance of fear. Fear is the emotion which expels love. I hope what this process might do is dispel the fear which has inhibited us from learning from learning about each other, from learning of what is painful and destructive, from learning um, the terrifying lesson that you know, I personally might have been the cause of pain 
to another person and destruction of their confidence of being valued and loved in a Christian community. And, and for a wide range of people, I think the fear of thinking, um, am I doing something wrong? The fear of thinking, is this, going to, is this going to mean there's something I've got to address which I don't want to address? Um, the fear that something's going to be taken away from me if this process dispels fear and gives people space and a sense of safety, then I think something very, very positive will come from that. Jessica Martin. I have worried for a long time that our church processes around um, sexuality and identity almost seem to in invite or implicitly require a kind of unequal vulnerability. I suppose, that it is something that is more dangerous and excoriating for some than for others. And I don't know how well that's always remembered. We have people who fit within whatever the norm happens to be, and then we have people who are outside it. And for those who are outside it, there's a, a kind of um, automatic exposure that's, that's, that's terribly hard. Thank you very much for joining us in this podcast and my thanks to Tim Dakin, Martin Warner, Jessica Martin, Alex Claire Young. We have a lively collection of further podcasts in our virtual library. Do have a rummage and please tell your friends. And if you'd like to rate or even review this podcast, then that would be the bee's knees or even the butterfly's brilliance. Further resources are available at churchofengland.org forward slash LLF. Goodbye and thank you for listening.